Welcome to High Gluttony. I'm Gretchen. And I'm Becca. And we're two ladies on an adventure. Listen along every 10 days or so as we cook a dish we like. Quest about cannabis education. Or chat with someone we respect. You can find more information about this episode at highgluttony.com. Thanks for joining us, gluttoneers. Off we go. Hello, gluttoneers. Just a quick note before we get started on this episode. We recorded this just after Thanksgiving and ran into some minor to major technical difficulties with it. So we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving a little bit. We also wanted to note not to turn your mixer on high for your initial mixing of these Parker House rolls. You should start slow and bring it up as the dough comes together because we were covered in flour. Off we go, gluttoneers. Let's get to it. And we're off. And we're off. We're running. We're making rolls. We're on a roll. (laughs) We are coming off of Thanksgiving. This is Thanksgiving weekend. How did yours go? Are you exhausted? Have you recovered? How are you? I'm good. This might be one of my most successful Thanksgivings ever. I... I have to give some credit to this podcast because it has made me a lot get better about menu planning. So I made a really nice checklist that I printed out the morning of. I was like, these are the things we need to do. These are the steps. This is what time we need to start this step to have it done by this time. So I was so well organized. Paul and Kristen, they got here and I was like, okay, I'll have this. I have all these things that we're going to have them do when they get here. And because my dad has had this really bad cough, his, his doctor <laughs> gave him uh, steroids for calming his chest, like the, whatever's going on in his chest down. And so he was like hyper energy. So he finished all the chopping and shit that I was planning on having Kristen and Paul do when they got here <laughs> before they even got here. So they got here and they had like nothing to do. I, it was very Perfect. efficient and everything turned out just perfect. There were no big disappointments this year. The duck was amazing. I just wanted a little more pomegranate to it. I, I was worried about putting it on the skin while it was doing its primary cook. And I think maybe next time I will just brush it on and see how it goes because it's got sugar in it. So it might make everything crispy, but I was worried about ruining the skin, but I did a really nice long, slow cooked duck for seven hours, stuffed it with peeled citrus fruits, it fell apart. We didn't even have to curve it. I just like started pulling pieces off and put them all in a tray and like reheated it right before we ate. And it was perfect. Wow. Everything was so great this year. How was your Thanksgiving? <laughs> That's awesome. I'm so excited. We should say if you haven't joined us in a while or a full year yet, Gretchen's parents come and stay for half the year with her. So we're at that time of year where you'll start hearing lots of stories about Gretchen's mom and dad. So (laughs) they are here and our old friends, Paul and Kristen got to join her and Gretchen makes duck every year and is perfecting it every time over and over. It sounds like every, every year I get a little bit closer to the, the ideal duck, but I got to say the slow roasted duck is definitely my preference. I was listening to a podcast about Turkey and Kenji, our friend Kenji was on talking about, Oh, it might've been the other person that was on that was talking about how buttermilk or fermented milk products are actually an ideal tenderizer for meat. And so I did a buttermilk brined turkey breast that I also cooked that was very good. So I did two, two types of meat this year, of course, <laughs> of course. And our friend buttermilk made an appearance again. I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast about how the half and half that we bought for the mashed potato trials was in the fridge with the buttermilk and the culture from the buttermilk went into the open container of half and half and fermented my half and half. So I just poured all that on the turkey bread (laughs) with flavorings and let it sit for two days. It was delicious. Buttermilk fermented milk product bath was great. I (laughs) will recommend. Buttermilk made an appearance at my house too. We made the, we made kind of a Frankenstein of mashed potatoes based on our test run with those three before, 
but buttermilk was in there. I think I put a little bit too much buttermilk and I mm. mostly followed the Kenji method of, of rinsing often and trying to get as much starch out as possible. Mm-hmm. And then I added, so some buttermilk and some Gruyere. I, cu- I put the garlic in with the potatoes when they were boiling. It was so cool. I loved that. I did too. I loved such a good idea. I, I love that you had that. And that then, yeah, it's perfect. It was perfect. I almost ended up min- like um, mashing them or ricing them into the mashed potatoes, almost like. Oh, I didn't. You did? Yeah. I took them out. I probably oh. should have but I took yeah. them out. I didn't want to bite into it. And they were really goopy, like mm. really goopy. And then the next day they were perfect. So it was weird. Yeah, it was weird. Cause we both only had a little bit and we were like, Oh, bummer. <laughs> and then the next day I was like, well, I'll just taste it. And it was so good. <laughs> so good. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you had an excellent pared down Thanksgiving compared to my wild experiment extraness. We paced it out. We did mashed potatoes and Brussels sprouts one day, and then we did pot pie and asparagus another day. <laughs> We're doing rolls today, so I'm going to make a lot of gravy. So it's been like a Ooh, gravy. days-long course Thanksgiving over here. <laughs> I will mention that I did a brown butter butternut squash roll for Thanksgiving. And this is the second time I think I've used this recipe. I'm not sure if it's a specific one, but this one came from food 52. The rolls were amazing. They were amazing. So I'll have to share. I think I'm going to have to do a post of like uh, my, maybe I just have a page of Gretchen's most recommended recipes on the website because I've got a few. I loved it. And Kristen was like, I need this recipe. (laughs) I used a candy roaster squash. So the squash flavor was a little more intense than even just like a regular butternut. I mean, they were just so good. Flavor was so good. I was so, so, so happy with the results. Everything was perfect this year. It was so perfect. Yay! Yeah. Even it's handle it. <laughs> but let's get well, on to what we're doing today. Exactly. So you made rolls. We're also making rolls today. But before that, we've got to talk about our little ritual of what we do to relax ourselves, which often involves a drink and a smoke. So what are you smoking today, Gretchen? I'm going to have, I'm bucking the no joints for Gretchen system, but I am using the <laughs> low THC, high CBD ones that I have. Okay. I have one left of my Harley Sue and Orange Creamsicle Cross premium roll joints. So I figured that was okay as long as I don't smoke the whole fucking thing, which I am <laughs> not going to do. <sighs> I hope it works. Me I hope too. this works because I know how much you love a joint. I love a joint. I don't want to take that away from you ever. But uh, what are you smoking today, Becca? I've been really enjoying my vape pens lately. And so this one is a conjugal visit which I'm super enjoying. I don't love the name. I don't like the implied prison sort of (laughs) component of that, but that's okay. I'm really enjoying the effects of it. And I also just had some CBD pills. So hopefully those will kick in while we're watching some dough roll around. (laughs) Cause that's what we're doing. Well, we're, we're starting with making a sponge. We, we selected, well, should we, she, should we go through the whole story? We wanted to make focaccia, but then realized that focaccia is like a two-day process. <laughs> so we decided for something a little bit shorter. I think so. But real quick, we also are both drinking orange juice and vodka, also known as a screwdriver to some, not to us, because we can never remember the name, but to some. Gretchen said earlier, we're fueled by orange juice and vodka energy. While we make these rolls, we're just keep that in mind that we've got a lot of sugar, <laughs> a lot of vodka pumping through our veins right now. Well, and I enhanced mine. So my mine of is course. an enhanced screwdriver. Let's call it a, a, a drill bit. We'll call it a drill bit. That's going to be my new name for it. So it is orange juice and vodka. And then I've got that toasted orange thing that I've been working on for a while. So I made a toasted orange. So it does have extra caramelized sugar in there. And then I topped it off with a little sparkling water because you know how I like to hydrate and drink alcohol. We were going to make focaccia. We were really excited about making a bread and making 
something that was really pretty and seemingly kind of easy. We've been hoping for easy these days, except turns out Fakasha has to rise for like a hundred days or something. No, not really. But <laughs> like 24 hours, like 12, yeah. at least 12 to 24 hours. Maybe our next broad project. Once Becca feels a little bit more secure in her <laughs> first stage bread making skills, then we can do a focaccia when like Becca's like, okay, I can make a bread by myself the day before. That's fine. But this was something that I wasn't aware of that you were. I always love it when there's something you know about that I don't know about. And so I'm being introduced to these Parker House roles today, which also happens to coincide with the fact that we can talk about Fanny Farmer. Fanny, our new obsession. Who will be our uh, chef deep dives? Yes, our first ever chef quest. But we'll talk about that more later. So Parker House Rolls. And I've heard that name a lot, but I really didn't know what was specific or unique about them. And so because we're in the thick of the holidays, it's for us, it's Thanksgiving weekend. I've waited till now for my Thanksgiving rolls. You had your squash ones, so gotten a little bit of a peek into this but these are those classic fluffy white White. buttery 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 just beautiful dinner rolls so a little bit of history about these guys because we both were like well I guess we should know what we're talking about if we're making it (laughs) they're New England based they're actually from the Boston Parker House Hotel which is also the birthplace of the Boston cream pie And these rolls first originated at that hotel in the 1870s. Food historian Ken Albala credits efficiency as one of the reasons these rolls took off. He says the Parker House roll was simply a more efficient delivery system for white bread. It's more compact, fits in a basket, and is easier to butter. And we are all about butter vehicles around here. Ask me, ask me about my butter obsession. (laughs) So Gretchen's going to talk to us about butter a little bit later because we were both obsessed with butter and these are the perfect vehicle for that. Legend has it that this is kind of how all of these stories are. Either somebody got in a fight or somebody got drunk or somebody fell asleep and poof, now we have this like magical addition to our culinary world. But legend has it that a disgruntled hotel baker threw a batch of unfinished rolls into the oven after he got in a fight with a hotel guest. And when the rolls came out, they had this sort of distinctive folded pocketbook shape like a little like lips almost. It made them really light and puffy on the inside, but they stayed crisp and buttery on the outside. And so the oldest printed Parker House roll recipe on file is from 1874 in an issue of the New Hampshire Sentinel. And it's pretty much been a staple since then. It's obviously gone through waves of popularity like most things have. But in the 1890s, our friend Fanny Farmer came along and she made an edit to this recipe. And it sort of made it even more popular. And she also said, I kind of struggled with how to make this work, like how to make the fold work and how to like get the maximum amount of butter distribution. And so what she's right, this is why we love her. Butter distribution. Sorry. I just had to say that out loud. I just had to say it. So she figured out the way to do this to achieve maximum butter distribution is to do a specific thing with adding flour to the knife that you're using to cut the the little crescent, the little streak in the roll. And we'll talk about that later, but a couple of her tricks have made this recipe a little bit more successful and hopefully a little bit easier to follow. So we're going to use those today. But the actual recipe comes from the New York Times. And Fanny's recipe was printed in the Boston Cooking School Cookbook. And that, again, was printed in 1890. So this recipe has been around for a long time. The version we're doing today has four tablespoons of butter at room temperature, four tablespoons of melted butter that we'll use for brushing on the dough. I like that. Equal amounts inside, equal amounts outside two tablespoons of sugar, two teaspoons of salt, two cups of warm milk, 
a quarter cup of warm water. This was not written in the ingredients. And you know how Gretchen and I feel about when water is not included in the recipe. It's an ingredient. You are using it. So we added it here, but you won't find it on the recipe ingredient list itself. One fourth cup warm water, one package dry yeast, and six cups of white flour approximately. So I'm actually going to pause real quick before we go through the high level and say that we should mix our yeast and our warm water together just to get that going because that's going to need a little bit of time to get to percolate together. We'll also mix together the milk, sugar, salt, and room temperature solid butter. So the yeah. packet of yeast is going into the warm water. Mm -hmm. Open that and sprinkle it right over the top there. And I actually have to take three cups of flour out of my mix because I put all of the flour into one bowl. Water's a, a little chilled now. I, it's not cold or anything, just not warm. Might take a little longer to get going. I'm going to say that perhaps what I'm going to do also right now is turn on my oven to the lowest temperature that it can go to, which is right. like one, 170 on mine. And that way we have a little warm environment that we can set our sponge on to encourage it to ferment a little faster. We are doing three things. We are turning the oven on for a little bit of a starter hot spot. We're mixing our yeast with our warmer roomish temperature water. And we are mixing together our butter, sugar, salt, and milk. Into the flour, into the three cups of flour. Oh, no. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Did you do that or no? No, I didn't. I haven't, I haven't done anything. <laughs> I was going to say we could put it in the bowl, but your, your flour is in there. So if your container with your milk is large enough, you could just put it all in the same container and stir it together. <laughs> That's what I'll do right now. Okay. So I'm sorry. So milk, sugar, salt goes in and butter go together. Yes. Got it. Okay. Oh, I'm going to whisk those together real quick. Of course, my little two cup measure is now very, very full because I have two cups of milk, a quart and a four tablespoons hey. of <laughs> butter in here. And at least the, the sugar and the salt dissolve. So they're not really adding a ton of volume. And oh, my butter is just sticking to my whisk. Okay. Yep. Same. Okay. So I don't know why we had to mix all those things together beforehand. Yeah. Probably could have just gone in with the flour and been fine. Or everything truly needed to be room temperature and we're just trying to cut corners that shouldn't be cut. Yikes. That's entirely possible. Yeah. I guess my cold, my milk is kind of cold actually. <laughs> uh -oh. So you could pop it in the microwave for 30 seconds just to, okay. just to warm it up slightly. I figure if we've got room temperature water, we should probably warm up our milk then. <laughs> Except my milk is really cold. I put mine in for 41 seconds slightly more room temperature now. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to force it with some heat from the oven. It should be okay. My oven went, to, it goes down to 170. Okay. That's, that's what mine is too. Okay, cool. I my figure mine only went, my no, other one only went down to 300. What? Yeah. No, maybe that 250. But yeah, it was not that low. Is your butter, sugar, milk, and salt mixed together? Yes. Well, let's check the bottom of the cup. <laughs> yeah. What's in the layers? <laughs> Apparently it is still layered out a bit. So I will uh, work on dissolving that. Have another sip of my orange juice, my energy alcohol drink today. Powered by Drillbit. Drillbit. We got a little ahead of ourselves with that first step because we had to take some quick action. So can you back us up a little bit though and talk through like high level what we're going to be doing today and then talk through what we just did so that people know where we're at. Actually, real quick, what world level is this before we jump into that? I'll say it's a world level too. This is a pretty basic recipe. It's stuff you'll have at your house. So I'd say it's a world level too. It's, it's fairly easy. It doesn't ask for a lot. Yeah, there are a few steps and the shape is a little funny. That doesn't make it any harder. So okay, we'll reassess at the end, you know, as we're trying to make a habit of doing the, the recipe and then talking about what Becca's opinion is of the world level at the end. So this is a world level too. Should be easy to accomplish. And no matter how they come out, they're going to taste good. Whether you get this like roll, like this like creased part, right. You know, the flavor will be there. The so. flavor will be there. You will not be so, lacking in the flavor department. So not too complicated, but what steps are we looking at then? Very high level. We are making a starter also called a sponge, like we did for the injera last year, except a little faster since that one took a whole month. This one only takes an hour. And your sponge has 
the majority of your bread ingredients. And actually, you're starting with some flour, milk, butter, sugar, and yeast, and a little bit of water to activate said yeast, mixing that together, and that's your sponge. Then we'll add a bit more flour, mix it together to get our full-on dough. Once that comes together and has kneaded for about 10 minutes, we'll set that aside and let it rise for another hour. Then we will come back and form our rolls. Then we'll have one more rest period before we bake. And then we will bake and eat them. (laughs) And smother them in more butter and just devour them. Yeah. More butter, please. Three resting periods total then? Three restings total. So quite a lot of time, but it's not active for most of that. Nope. I think it really lends itself to holidays for that reason. Bread is a good menu item that looks great, but has a lot of time off. So you can use that for other things. And we're making it even easier on ourselves today and using a stand mixer, right? Right. So if you want to increase the difficulty level of this recipe, you can knead this by hand. But since I my hands are terrible, I'm going to do the disability approved thing of using my my beloved mixer, which I am massaging lovingly right now because it's going to do a little bit of work later. (laughs) I love you, mixer. (laughs) Anything else we'll need special equipment wise besides the stand mixer? We're going to use a rolling pin and a cutter. You just need some sort of round cutter. If you don't have a round cutter, the top of a drinking glass works really well as an impromptu cutter. Go to town. (laughs) Do whatever you get to do. Okay. And then what do they bake in? I think it's just a sheet pan. Just a sheet pan, I believe. Baking sheet. Baking sheet. Okay. Well, at some point, we'll have to discuss the difference between baking sheet and sheet pan. Mm Going to double check what the actual recipe says (laughs) on a buttered baking sheet or use a silicone baking mat. Not New York. If you don't butter it. Yeah. So, so there's more butter, even we're using the butter as a lubricant Mm. for the bottom of the pan. Yes. They're not, not lacking butter. I guess it is good. Maybe we're talking about butter later because it's like (laughs) butter. Yes. More butter. And then some butter. What do you think should go here? More butter. More butter. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Awesome. We can do this. We can let things rise. We can mix them and let them rise again. And we can cut them and let them rise again. And yes. pretty easy just and bread dough is pretty well relatively forgiving there is a bit of a knack some people have a knack with bread dough some people don't I'm middle of the road I'm not amazing with bread dough but I get I don't make shit most of the time (laughs) okay in detail then can you say what we have already done so our little detour earlier included mixing together our milk butter and sugar and salt together in one receptacle We mixed together our packet of yeast with a quarter cup of warm water and another receptacle. And we wanted both of those to sit. So that's why we took the quick detour before we came back to give you the full details on the recipe. And we turned on our ovens for an extra nice warm environment for our sponge to rise in because our ingredients are a little bit low temperature wise right now. So we're going to try and give them a little boost after we've mixed everything together. And then what is our next step going to be once we return to the kitchen? So we are going to mix together three cups of flour with our milk butter mixture and our yeast water mixture. That's all going together. We're going to stir together lightly. It's going to be a wet battery looking mess, (laughs) but a delicious mess. Just, just, it'll be a bit of a mess really, but there's a point to it. Then we're going to cover that, put it in our warm spot and let it sit for an hour. That right? Okay. The only thing I see is that this says to beat vigorously for two minutes, not lightly. Okay, good. All right. That's just because I wasn't looking exactly at the script, like a naughty little chef podcaster. So we are beating vigorously for two minutes. So we are going to make, it's going to look dough-esque, but well, we'll find out what it looks like when we do it. Okay. So beat vigorously, like one of the high speeds on the, on the mixer. On the mixer. And I am going to just use my dough hook. That should be good enough. We'll find out again. That's another thing we're going to find out. (laughs) And and on this recipe, because you really just have like a total cuppage, you don't have to be super exact on it's exactly three cups that I've put in my mixer to mix this with. Like if it's a little low, not a problem. Probably don't want to go too much higher than three cups, but if you're a little on the high side, it's fine. 
yeast mixture and milk mixture go into the flour mixture. Correct. And I'm going to turn on my mixer. All right, I'm going to stop mine now. Okay. And then just do a quick scrape around the bottom and then do a little mixing by hand. And I think I'm going to call it good on the mixing the sponge. On this first part. Yeah, it is quite battery. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say it like that. It's it's (laughs) batter-like. Uh, batter yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> not not the right words that is it's a little lumpy for me I don't think that should even factor in really just because okay. pretty much what we're doing right now is feeding the yeast and giving the yeast a chance to multiply and start developing the carbon dioxide it doesn't cool. have to be mixed super like smooth or anything like that awesome I'm actually gonna put a damp towel over mine. Okay. So I'm putting a little bit of an extra layer of fabric on the backside of my bowl because it can get a little too warm on the stove. So I'm going to put that as a little bit of a barrier for the, it's an insulation of the bowl. Got it. To keep it from too much heat. Right. And I'll probably come and turn it occasionally as well, just to make sure it's not like drying out or going too crazy in one spot or baking by accident. Cause that can happen sometimes. (laughs) Right. And this isn't This is an hour rest? An hour rest, yes. I will put an hour on the timer. We're letting our first rise happen. And at this point, we've already used four tablespoons of butter. There's countless more tablespoons in our future. So what is butter? Why is it so fucking delicious? What is it? I guess I wasn't particularly going to start that granular, but I should. Actually, (laughs) I have this beautiful quote that I pulled out of On Food and Cooking. Just because I was like, this is the most beautiful way to look at butter I've, I've ever come across. <laughs> so from On Food and Cooking on page 33, milk fat indeed is a portion of the sun's energy captured by the grasses of the field and repackaged by the cow in scattered microscopic globules. It's like, that's so, so artsy for butter. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> for butter, it's sunshine and grass <laughs> globules. I mean, we, we can definitely extol the virtues of grass-fed butter because it's, it is supposed to be much better for you as far as having vitamin D levels that are good for you. And vitamin K is also in like, it's a fat carried vitamin. It's really prevalent in grass-fed butter. So it's kind of a good idea to at least put some grass-fed butter in your life be just for, for the fact that you'll get vitamin K and uh, vitamin D. And those things are very helpful, but grass-fed butter is indeed an excellent vehicle for vitamin D consumption. So if you needed a reason, buy and eat more butter, you now have it. So a beautiful quote from On Food and Cooking starts us off. And, and then where are we going from here with our butter talk? It really only takes a small amount of agitation to start separating the fattier parts of cream from cows and buffalo, really any dairy animal. It's assumed that butter has been around for a long time because it is also much more stable than like liquid milk or cream or any of that And that has to do with a lot of the fermentation processes that they go through and the fact that the lower moisture content of butter is what makes it stay long as a product much longer than milk. You said the moisture level? Mm -hmm. Okay. Because it's low in moisture. So butter is typically 80% fat. Now the, the percentages range depending on the type of butter and where it originates from. So European style or European butters typically are at 80 to 85% range of milk, of fat. And then you have either 18 or 15% water. So they have a higher fat content. So they're a little bit richer, but removing water from cream, from the fat parts of cream makes it last long. That's really where we were trying. That was the point I was trying to make. And then I kind of wandered <laughs> off a little bit there. Let's go back to how we make butter, where butter comes from. Typically, we get our butter from cow and buffalo milk. I believe that that mostly due just to volume because goats and sheep, they make so much less milk that if you're prioritizing something, you're going to prioritize making cheese over making butter because cheese is even more indestructible. Don't see a lot of sheep or goat butters. I think they're coming around just because of lactose intolerance. 
we discovered early on that the the milk we get from cow, cows and specifically if you separate out some of the watery parts from the more creamy fatty parts that the more you concentrate those and you work with them the different products you can get so butter is really simple because as opposed to cheese where you have to introduce some sort of enzyme butter can just kind of be produced by agitating your milk Likely it was discovered by accident by somebody just carrying milk somewhere and then all the, the creamy part separated out of the, the water, more watery part. And they were like, well, I guess I have to use this for something. This tastes really good. And this is pretty good. <laughs> so there's three main steps and you can make butter really easily with just some heavy cream. You can make butter by over whipping whipped cream. Like, I don't know if you've ever done that because I have. And then I just like, well, I guess I'll just go on to butter. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, you can easily make butter at home. It is not hard. You just work cream. And then when you get to a point where the, the fat, because the fat just attracts to itself, you know, fat is hy- hydrophobic. So there's like those natural emulsifiers. There's some natural cell walls in there that once you start agitating it, those cell walls break down and then the parts that like each other, like the fat likes the fat and the water likes the water. So your fat starts going, I'm going to group together and throw all this water out of here. So once it's thrown out a fair amount of the water, you drain that water off. You can use it for something else. You can drink it. It's whey. Whey. Okay. Although I have to double check on that because I wasn't sure if whey was necessarily specific to cheese making. But I would think it applies in both cases because it's just the watery part of the milk. So, okay. (laughs) It may not be 100% correct, but if you're here for 100% correctness, you're in the wrong podcast. (laughs) We gesture wildly and assume wildly. (laughs) Assume wildly. (laughs) So once your butter, your fat globules have made something where you can see usually about the size of a grain of wheat. You'll drain off that whey. Then you have to work the butter so that any of the remaining buttermilk that's left into the fat suspension you're working on kind of is worked in and is in little little pieces. So it's got to be in little microscopic pieces inside your butter. So there's like a, a an element of continuing to mix just to get your fat crystals and your fat globules and your little bit of moisture that's in there to all work together and be smooth and homogenous. And then you form it and you have butter. I had no idea you could make butter at home. I mean, I knew you could make it like fucking churn it. I'm imagining just like an immersion blender into some whipped cream and or heavy cream and you'd get it even faster. Yeah. Cool. It's possible to do it by hand, but since you know what a pain in the ass it is to do whipped cream by hand. <laughs> For me, impossible. Yeah. <laughs> Not an option. So you would never get butter either. You'd be fine. God, what a tragedy that would be if I had to make my own butter. <laughs> we'd, go, we'd go the immersion blender route or oh, thank God. mixer route. Whew. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. So now I have a better understanding. I have a basic concept. It's fat and moisture and a couple of other things just kind of like smoothed out together into a beautiful little form. I know there are different styles of butter. And what did those look like? On Food and Cooking was kind of a bit generous with its butter styles, okay? (laughs) To, To me, there would essentially really be like, there are two sort of main categories. You have your sweet cream and your salted, really, is what it comes down to. You have your, it doesn't have salt added or... It does have salt added. Is it sweet cream in both cases? And Technically, one has yes, salt? It, yes, okay. yes. So it, it's made from the same product. It's just, if you're salting, you're either introducing a salted liquid brine when you're in your last working stage where you're kneading everything together, that's when you would want to add your salt or you could add actual granulated salt. I'm assuming that the, if you're doing a brine, it just makes it a little easier to incorporate and you don't end up with any chunks of salt. Otherwise, you've got sweet cream where you're not adding any extra or additional salts that, than what is otherwise naturally in the milk. Okay, so if I'm looking at butter labels and I see sweet cream next to unsalted, those are basically the same thing. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah, those would be the same thing. Then you have 
uh, raw cream, which is unpasteurized, which would pretty much be impossible to come by these days. <laughs> like, sure. Pasteurization is, is generally thought of as quite important for our, our health. Finding butter made out of unpasteurized cream is probably going to be a bit of a feat. Then you have cultured cream butter. So raw cream is like fresh out of the cow, went right into butter production. Cultured cream butter, this is any time that's like they've done a little fermentation on the cream before they made the butter. And this can actually do a few things. It adds a flavor component. So it's like sour cream kind of almost flavor because you're converting the, wait, I wrote it down. Oh no, I didn't write it down. I only wrote down part of it. Anyway, there's a conversion that happens between some acid to a different type of acid. I forget which one, which is which right now. So your cultured cream tends to be a bit more fuller flavored. It also can contribute some stabilization of the butter itself. So adding to the longevity of the butter because you're adding an acidic component that'll help extend the shelf life. So a cultured cream butter is going to last you is la- going to last the longest. Longer than like well, raw cream butter will only last about 10 days. So that's like okay. your shortest shelf life. Got to eat it or get rid of it. Like <laughs> nothing to it. Then you've got your pasteurized. So that lasts a heck of a lot longer than raw cream. And if you put it in the freezer, it lasts even longer. Then you have the cultured cream butter, which just by the natural fermentation process, you end up with some acidic compounds that help extend the shelf life even further, as well as diacetyl, which makes it's a flavory sort of aromatic compound. So it's uh, what they believe they typically use for like buttered popcorn flavor is just a bunch of diacetyls. (laughs) Okay. And that can be added to cultured cream butter. That's part of the fermentation process is that created. created. Yes. Cool. And then that's what's used to make artificial butter flavoring sometimes. Sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. But that's what you taste when you taste like that butter. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Butter, pure butter flavor. Mm. Then you have the European style butter. So you can have uncultured and cultured European style butter. Although you do find that actual butters from Europe tend to be cultured. They tend to do a little bit of a fermentation on those before they produce them, but they, they have a higher fat content. Again, if you want an even more purified butter, there are specialty butters they produce in Europe where they melt, gently melt the butter and then centrifuge out the milk solids and water. So it's even more pure and the water and the no water. So it's just like very, very, very pure. And so there's like at least three different types. You have beurre cuisinier, beurre pâtissier, and beurre concentré, I think. Concentré. Beautiful. Beautiful. Concentré. Sorry. I, I, I'm out of practice with my French accent. I, I say pâtissier a lot more often than I say something with it at the end. But um, So three different types of that more like concentrated butter. Okay. And those are mostly used by professionals. It's, you're not going to find a lot of people like having those at home. It's bummer. Yeah. Well, I mean, you <laughs> can get it if you want. You could do these things at home if you have a center. Ah. <laughs> right. Totally. <laughs> but it might be more work than it's worth. So. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I would do it if I had to. If like butter stopped being mass produced. Yeah. I would figure out how to do it. But yeah. Until you then. could you could get by though with standard butter, not like having I, to concentrate yeah. your butter. So fair point. Fair point. Well, well, what? Okay, what else would you like to know about butter before I just start spouting off the shit that I want to tell you about butter? <laughs> I have a question about. I should have talked to you about this before. I'm sorry, but I just thought of it. When I was at working at Williams Sonoma, they sold a butter tray dish kind of thing. And you would this, I never understood how this worked, but you would put, you'd put some water in the base and then stick your butter, your stick of butter on that or how, whatever your like volume, a volume of butter. And then there was a lid and it was supposed to keep like room temperature fresh for a long time. So it's like got a water lock. Yeah. Butter keeper. Yeah. And I think it was cast iron. I think it was like a, the butter crusade kind of, yeah. A butter bell. Exactly. I didn't realize there was a water component to this. No fucking shit. (laughs) 
I didn't, I, did, I had zero concept that that was how that was supposed to function. I just thought you put the butter into that, uh, the top part. And I couldn't understand why you had to smush it into that and then put it into a crock because I've like kept like butter in butter dishes on my counter before with no water lock. I mean, I just didn't realize that was that <laughs> because oxygen is the enemy really for oxidation of butter at room temperature. So this is just one way to keep air from touching the butter. I think it's you a fill little... that air with water. Yeah. So I think it's a little, it's a little weird to me that you're putting it in water. I don't a hundred percent get why that extends it more than anything. I didn't know if you'd heard of it before. I've heard of this thing, but I didn't realize the whole thing about it. I just had always looked at it and went, well, that just looks like work. I have to shove that butter into that thing. <laughs> and it's like a cool shape and whatnot. But this looks like more work than I want to do to have butter at room temperature. Now, I eat a lot of butter at room temperature, so a stick does not last very long either. So I guess this is an advantage if it does. But Good point. Yeah, I had a friend who had one, and I always wanted one. But then I felt like I don't understand it. And I think it will, <laughs> I just feel like it will go moldy. But I didn't it, know if it had something to do with like the balance of the water in the butter and the water outside. It's just the water, kinda... the water pushing the air out. So it's, it's, I can see the theory behind it. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I've never used one, so I don't know how effective it is, but if you, if you always wanted one, it seemed like a good idea to you. I guess it's not as weird as I think it is, but maybe I'll get one. We'll see how it goes. So what else do you think I should know about butter and what's ghee and how does that fit into this? I did think I should just go in depth on clarified butter for at least a minute. Ghee is pretty interesting. I was always under the impression that ghee was just clarified butter. I didn't understand that there is more to ghee itself. It's just butter where you have removed the water and milk solids. Oh, it's like that concentrated butter almost. Right. But, but it's a different in the milk solid. Right. Right. Okay. You are getting rid of the milk solids. Totally clarified butter. You're removing those really gently and trying not to get any color on the milk solid because the milk solids contain sugar. Also brown butter is a clarified butter because you're removing the water and then letting the milk solids brown. So that's how you usually get the, that's how you get brown butter. But ghee is somewhere sort of in between like a pure clarified butter, which would have none of that toastiness on it. It's, but removing all the water and the the milk solids also raises the smoking temperature. So you can fry stuff in butter as long as you clarified it first. But ghee, traditionally made from a fermented cream, apparently that fermentation process for all across the board on all butters improves the quantity as well as the quality of butter contained. It helps with the crystallization stuff. I didn't get into cool. figuring that part out. So don't ask me for <laughs> details on that. So you're starting with a fermented product. So you're starting with that little extra butteriness to it anyway, because you've got your fermentation through there. Then you heat the butter to 190 degrees. That evaporates the water without keeping the milk solids at all. And then you raise it just to 250 so that you lightly brown the milk solids, but without really sending your butter over into full on brown butter territory, because the, the color should really be really bright yellow. And I, in my research, came to find out the ghee actually means bright in Sanskrit. So it's supposed to have a really bright, beautiful yellow color to it. And so it's, it's, it is more than just clarified butter, because I didn't understand that for a long time, that it is, it's very specific. I, I just learned this. I just learned it. I was like, that's so cool. Now I have a deeper appreciation for ghee. And it's quite a delicate process. So it's very well attended to throughout like it's quite gentle and then they when they remove those milk solids they add that to sugar and use that to make sweets so I was like oh that sounds so good now I want sweets from India please yes please (laughs) somebody anybody yeah please or we could make it I guess but we could make it I'm sure it wouldn't be exactly the same but we could we could approximate the flavors 
Mm-hmm. That was pretty exciting that I was like, oh, I, le- I learned the gi is its own amazing, beautiful, special thing. And I mean, I knew that it was its own thing, but I didn't fully appreciate the thingness of it. <laughs> <laughs> the unique thingness of gi. <laughs> Well, I think we both appreciate something that's well thought through and makes a lot of sense and has efficiencies behind it. And it feels like this is like the most shelf stable, has the highest burn point and is a process that has been pretty deliberately made. So I think there's a lot of respect behind that. For sure. Well, is there anything else I should know about butter beyond how much is an amount that I will die eating in one day? (laughs) 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 What's the most amount you should consume in one day? (laughs) Well, I don't know that. I don't, I don't think there's an upper limit. I don't know if anybody's died from butter exposures. Now we know that everybody (laughs) enjoy. A, a brief note about the fact that, and this goes back to my vitamin D sunshine being encapsulated in butter <laughs> rant earlier, <laughs> but butter's structure is highly influenced by the cow's diet and how the milk is handled, but it has come out that pasture-fed milk, so milk that comes from cows that are eating more grass, tends to have a softer texture than those that are fed predominantly a hay and grain. So you would also get some variation if you're dealing with milk that's coming from a climate where, you know, during the summer, the cows would be fed in the pasture more. So they would have a softer butter during the summer. And then during the winter, they'd have a harder butter because they'd be eating hay and grain during those months when there's not a lot of fresh grass available. Hmm. So Interesting. Yeah, that's what I, I love it. <laughs> So that's the extent of what I had time to research before today's episode. I'm sure there is more to know about butter, but that was enough for me. That's plenty for me. I learned a lot. Yay, butter. 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 Um, Oof. So much better appreciation for butter. What's our time check on our first rise here of our sponge? So we have 14 minutes left on the count. So my, it's not too warm over here. That's a okay. good thing. Okay. So right now I've got some bubbles coming up through my dough or my okay. batter. So mine's looking pretty good. Nice and toasty. It's definitely fermenting. We have I, fermentation. I moved mine a little bit over, a little bit closer to the oven because I don't have very many bubbles. Ah, so mine's been sitting right in front of the oven, right in front ah. of the vent that comes out of the oven. So it's bubbling very well right now. Quite a bit. Okay, yeah, I'm going to move mine up there for the last okay. 15 or so. Okay, and I'm, I'm going to move mine out because it's, <laughs> it's doing really well. <laughs> the good news is, is that it, that's a low enough temperature where I'm not worried that I've over-fermented or anything like that. So. Sure. 170 is just a hot day in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah, in the summer, <laughs> you can make like. bread no problem. You <laughs> just pop it outside and... Like make sure it's not directly in the sun because you almost might be able to bake shit outside. How's your sponge looking now? Given another 15 minutes on the, the heat. I still don't have a lot of bubbles, but I have a couple. We'll just try and push your uh, fermentation into the higher higher gear next go around. We'll put it close okay. to the stove. Okay. So what's next then? So we are going to add three cups of flour to our mixture here. And then because we are using the stand mixer, we're going all in all at once and letting it mix for 10 minutes. That is where- What speed? We are doing low, low speed. So we're just trying to get that kneading action to activate the gluten in there. Okay. Not trying to develop a ton of gluten, just some. Okay. 10 minutes after we add the rest of our flour, which is three cups. Correct. I'm going in. I'm locked and ready to rock. All right, ready? Three, okay, let's go. Two, one. Oops, my bowl's not left. <laughs> oh no, that's the problem. <laughs> that's from oh, flowers going everywhere. Oh shit. Okay. Whoa. We had a massive explosion. Okay. Oh no. Okay. Are you going now? Yeah. <laughs> you're you're only 20, 25 seconds behind. So Okay. <laughs> Mine's all just a mush in the middle. Not a mush, but it's all like condensed to the middle. Uh, turn it off and show me. I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Yeah, mine's pretty stiff too. Okay. So I think yours is just, just stiff. Okay. 
if you poke it, how does uh-huh. it feel? Is it super, super stiff or does it spring? It springs. Okay. But it's mine, getting stiff. Okay. Yeah. Mine, because I can leave an indentation in the dough and it's been five minutes. Maybe it's good. Maybe another few, just like two or three. Going back to my experience, because I don't, you know, make rolls a ton. So I'm not super Uh adept. But when I did make my other rolls this week for Thanksgiving, I needed them for quite a long time. And I was a bit worried they were going to come out tough, but they were not. They were wonderful. Okay. So So we should go a little bit more just in case. Yeah. And those were, yeah, equally as enriched. Okay. With uh, with butter and milk and fat. So, <laughs> okay. Awesome. We'll keep going. We'll just keep an eye on it. I think this is just the first time we haven't had a really sticky dough. So yeah, <laughs> we're like, what do we do? This is pro- <laughs> This is what it properly should look like. This is okay. a good dough. Been going for another two minutes. Okay. I stopped mine. I was going to look for the notes on the recipe to say, to see what we were looking for. <laughs> And it says knead on low until the dough is smooth and pulls away from the sides of the bowl. So we've definitely achieved that. Mine's pretty smooth. You are right. Nice instincts, Becca. Thank you. Learning. Cover the bowl and let rise again until doubled in bulk. I love it. Returning to the stove. Are you going to cover it again with a damp towel? Yeah. Okay. Especially since the humidity is low over here today. Don't need to work. Don't need it to be drying out. Well, I just dumped, dropped my cloth on the floor and I don't remember which way it dropped down. So I'm going to get a new one. <laughs> I will put an hour on the timer. And that's the last of our kneading, right? That is the last of the kneading. So next it's pun- punching it down and forming it and rolling it out is our next step. Okay. We are about an hour and 15 minutes later because... Becca's rolls were a bit sluggish. Tired. <laughs> so I think it's ready to go now. What is the next step? So we are going to transfer our dough to the counter and we're going to roll it out to a third of an inch thick and then cut it with two and three quarter inch round biscuit cutter or a jar lid or a glass rim or something round and about two to three inches around. Is the Surface supposed to be floured before we put the dough out? It doesn't say. I'm assuming probably yes. It would be better okay. to have it at least lightly floured. I don't know that you'd want to put a ton of flour on there. So I'm going to do a, a light sprinkle. This handles beautifully. What does that mean? What do we what do we want right now? Just slightly sticky, but not too wet. So it kind of peels out of the bowl without leaving too much behind. Okay. And then I'm going to flip it over. So that the the part that just fell out onto the board is now my top. And since we're rolling into a, or cutting a round shape, the shape of our dough, once we start rolling, it doesn't really matter. Cool. So I'm just starting to roll it out pretty gently. It's bouncy. It is bouncy. I want to it's a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> Should sort of, you know, stretch and, and relax a little bit. That's your, yeah. your gluten. Okay. What's about a third of an inch? Like a nut, an almond? I would say, how wide's my pinky? <laughs> Gretchen's pinky. Gretchen's pinky width. And I don't have anything to measure it here with. I think a nut would probably be a quarter of an inch. Okay. So slight, slightly thicker than a nut. I think mine's pretty good. I have my circumference or the diameter of my, it's probably 14 inches across and it's pretty round. Maybe mine's a little more egg shaped. Mine's a bit thick, so I'm actually rolling it out a little bit further because I think I'm closer to a half an inch than a third of an inch right now. Okay. And yeah, I can't go width ways anymore. I need to go lengthways. So mine is going to be a bit egg-shaped. I've floured the edge of my cutter, my dough, my round cutter. Oh yeah, I'm going to get a lot of rolls. What was the yield supposed to be on this? I don't know. I didn't even look at that. Whoops. Yields. Something to pay attention to. You know what I don't like about this is that there's a lot of dough waste. Totally. Could we like put it back together and do another one? Roll it out again. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, mm-hmm. yes. I'm sure. not sure if I'm, I'm really wanting to do that because mm-hmm. it could make it tough. Mm-hmm. I think a better thing to do would be like make like a small monkey bread or something with it. Ooh, yum. Mm-hmm. Cause I really don't know that I need more rolls. I guess if you need a lot more rolls, then yeah, go for it. But I might, what I might do is like put, bring it back together and then re- let it rest. 
So it kind of com- becomes a more feasible piece of dough without having to work it too much together. Mm-hmm. And then, then rolling it back out again, like after it's had time to chill out. Uh-huh. Time out. Monkey bread would be good with pistachio paste. Oh, and I still have some. Ooh. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. In the reading of this instructions, probably can't go wrong if you're using a round cutter to pull it and make it so it's a little oblong. Okay. And then using the dull edge of a knife, make a crease through the center of each piece of dough. Made a crease. Like all the way across? Yeah, straight across the widest way. Okay. Then brush with melted butter, fold in half along the crease, and lightly press. Looks sort of like a taco. We're making a bunch of vaginas. For once, we're making vaginas. Instead of penises. Yay, something not phallic. (laughs) Or I should say vulvas. We're making vulvas. That's what we're really... Well, I'm still making roll shapes. I just wanted to try out the uh, methodology before you... I got there. How many did you end up with? 19. 19? Yeah. I only got 10, but I have so much dough left. How mm. closely did you cut them out together? I guess not close enough. And you used your whole piece of dough? Yeah. Interesting. Maybe mine's, maybe my cutter's smaller than it than yours. Yeah. I mean, they might be, uh, they're pretty thick. Too thick? Yeah. I mean, not too thick, but I think it'll be fine. <laughs> Okay. You'll have you'll have larger rolls. Like it, what we're what it comes down to is your rolls will be a little bit larger than mine. That's usually how it goes with me. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not really a problem. You just kind of have to adjust your expectation on baking and go from there. There's no. It's choose your own adventure baking. Come on. Yeah. You know, we like to support choose your own adventure baking. Exactly. Okay. And then you just used a butter knife or you used sharp I mean, knife? Yeah, any knife really. Cause it's not, not a sharp knife because you're using the dull side of a sharp knife. I'm like, well then you could just really use a butter knife. Okay. How deep is the cut? It's just a score. It's really mostly a score. Yeah. I think it's really just to knock back the air in that section to make it thinner. Mm. But other than that, it's not really doing much. And top with butter. How much butter? Uh, a generous amount. I, <laughs> yeah. When I folded it, it like poured out. And I was like, maybe that's too much. <laughs> I don't know. I think that might be about right. Okay, good. Yay. Because there's not a lot for the butter to stick to. Sure. I'm wondering if maybe you're only supposed to press brush the crease of the dough with the butter. Just the crease. And not so much like the entire, it says press lightly together, but mine is zero chance of stick. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't know that that's really the intent, but I've got a couple that are like flying open over here. Hello. I don't know. This is a whole new thing to me. I don't know what's going on. I'll eat it right now. Like they still yeah. look good. <laughs> I have zero complaints about the appearance of these rolls <laughs> as of yet. <laughs> okay. Assembled. Assembled. Yay. Now for more waiting. Yay. But hopefully this will go a little bit quicker because your mass isn't as large either. You have like individual pieces, so they'll warm up a little bit quicker. Cool. So hopefully your your lack of motivation from the last two rises will be made up for in this round. Okay. Hopefully your yeast will get excited. Yeah. Come on, yeast. Be excited. Show me something. I don't understand how I got 19 and you got 10. This makes zero sense either. to me. Yeah. Because mine look fairly huge yours didn't look any larger to me yeah i don't get it me neither my little friends are going back over onto the stove 45 minutes is on the clock okay so our our rolls are doubled or more in size mine are quite juicy looking and we've preheated our oven to 425 we are ready to roll (laughs) 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 i guess i'm pop them in the oven pop them in the oven and then we have 12 12 to 18 minutes Oh, 12 to 18. Okay. Depending on the heat of your oven. And then mm-hmm. I guess we'll report the flavor out in 12 to 18 minutes. <laughs> okay. So it's been a few minutes. Not exactly sure how many, but a few. No real color yet. I'm going to flip these puppies around so we can see a bit. It's kind of a weird shape though. Not sure yeah. I'm sold on the butter vehicle part of it. Well, you got to put the butter in the crease. I feel like yeah. you really got to like press, like you should not make the crease until you like you should press with brush with butter, then make the crease. 
Oh no, I mean after it's all cooled and stuff when you're eating it. Oh, oh, right, right. I am not following at all. So this will be the first time you've made rolls? Mm -hmm. Oh, what do you think so far? Pretty easy. Yeah. I mean, with the stand mixer. Well, everything's easier with a stand mixer. (laughs) So true. I like these. These are easy rolls. I mean, I've never really made a super challenging roll. These take the easy cake. This yes, these take the easy cake. Mine are starting to get a little crisp, a little brown on top. Yeah, they're starting to go. I'm gonna pull mine out. Okay. What do you think? Here's a sampling of mine. Oh yeah, yours are pretty golden. Okay. Now it does say to brush them with butter after they come out of the oven. Okay. I think they're smelling closer. Yeah. Looks like this will be right on the ticket. Beautiful. Like little Pac-Mans. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna taste one. Okay. I think mine are still so hot, a, a little too hot. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably too early. There's a bunch of steam coming out. <laughs> okay, too hot. <laughs> mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should do a justice and put a little more butter on it. So I dipped it into the Melsa butter. Did you? <laughs> the texture on that is delightful. Yeah, they nailed it with that crispy outside and fluffy inside. Mm-hmm. I think I could have mm. gone like a slight, just a little smidge longer on my cooking. Mm-hmm. Me too. But this is probably also a good point to like, if you were trying to preserve them, like you didn't want to eat them all at once, you'd put them in the freezer at this point because they could take Mm. a little more heat. Okay. And I think she said like they're best right away, but you can always reheat them. Mm. Oh yeah. Success. I feel like I might add another tablespoon of salt. Like they're just like a smidge under salted, Mm -hmm. but otherwise delightful. Mm -hmm. So all in world level two still, you'd say? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Same. Yeah. I mean, it's not overly complicated, but just got to have a little patience. Mm-hmm. Totally. But we'll put all this info on our website. Then we'll post about it on our Instagram. So follow us and like and subscribe and tell a friend the- or five friends, maybe 10 friends and make them tell a hundred friends. <laughs> <laughs> so many friends. <laughs> but thank you for joining us. We had a good time. I had a great time. This was a huge success for me. It was Yay. edible. It was fluffy. Yeah, I love it. Becca made bread and it wasn't Yay. a total disaster. Yay. You did it. Coming for you, Fakasha. <laughs> coming for you. <laughs> Off we go.